This is our final lesson from Ecclesiastes. As well, we wrap up our series now on having the good life now, and we're looking at uh, these critical teachings of, of what uh, Solomon has offered to us about true wisdom for life and the, the important practical teachings that he has given of how to use wisdom now, and we're going to get to explore uh, a recap of a lot of the things that we've looked at. And so if you've missed a lot of those, you can certainly listen to them on our website, but uh, we'll recap some of those points uh, that we've made previously uh, this morning. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10 uh, is some more Proverbs by the writer, and I didn't want to take the time just to go through the individual Proverbs. A lot of them uh, are like what you see in the Proverbs themselves. Uh, I do want to point out a humorous one if you've never seen the the one that's fun to use politically for your friends is in chapter 10 and verse 2 where it says, a wise man's heart is to the right, but the fool's man's to the left. You know, my dad always made that. I thought that was funny. So, you know, it's obviously not what that means, but it is just funny that it says that. Uh, talking about going down the right path, of course. And that's the idea. Uh, but chapter 11 then moves into these concluding thoughts. As the, the writer of Ecclesiastes now uh, kind of wants to sum everything up, and he's made these points about uh, not looking past yourself and looking out to thinking that the life is better if you just have these other things to, to realize what you have in your life now and that's really here in chapter 11 and verse 9 how uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is ending as he says rejoice young man while you are young and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes but know that for all of these things God will bring you to judgment remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth in the prime of life is fleeting. They're fleeting. Okay, uh, this is an important beginning that, that he, he brings out here. As he says, now, uh, in wrapping these things up, young man, realize something. Realize the benefit uh, of what you have right now. You're young. Enjoy your life while you have it. Look at all the things that you can do in life. Look at all the things that, that are ahead of you. And essentially, I think that the summary point is, do things while you can. Uh, we have looked through these lessons and seen that their time is not promised to us. The future is not promised to us. We don't know how life is going to change. We don't know if the good times that we may be experiencing now will continue to be experienced in the future. So, young man, enjoy what you have. Rejoice in your life. Enjoy the things that life has to offer. Realize that you should be doing those things while you can. And notice the words that he put in there with it. But don't forget, everything you do will be brought into judgment. And this is important that he has repeatedly said that he has experienced everything that there is to offer in life. He's tried everything that there is out there. He's written about wealth and wisdom. He has written about power and success and even women and debauchery of sorts. He says, I've sought out everything that you could find in this world. I've tried it. There's no satisfaction there. And so he comes to this conclusion and says, Now enjoy your life. Be fulfilled. But understand the decisions that you make and the actions you take, they will be held accountable by God. Understand that. Enjoy all that there is there in life. But keep the constraint on that. Careful with your decisions. The, the writer is not advocating to just do whatever your heart desires. To fall into every lust and every temptation, just knock yourself out in every sin? No. 
Enjoy all the good things that life has to offer. Look at all the things that can be done. Look at all the things that there are to enjoy. Experience them. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy what there is in life. Understanding that you will be accountable for those decisions. And in the second part of that verse, in verse 10, he basically teaches us not to let the human condition to cause sorrow. It's, it's a fascinating way that he says that uh, when he says, Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh. Because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. You, you, you see what he's saying there? Is don't get so bogged down by all the bad things that happen in life. And that's a strange statement. But I think it makes sense of what we just learned last week. Remember we talked about this critical component that he taught us in, in chapter 9. Time and chance happen to all. Time and chance is always a factor that's going on around us. There is such a thing as being at the right place in the right time and good things happening to us. There is such a thing as being at the wrong place at the wrong time and bad things happening to us. So, because of that, don't get so upset and torn up because you see bad things happen. You need to continue to be positive and enjoy the life that is ahead of you. Because it's very easy to look around and see evil happening, see the bad things that happen to other people, even perhaps within our own lives, and just get outright depressed. And just say, well, what's the point? Forget it. And say, don't do that. Understand that things are just working. Time and chance happen to all. There's not necessarily rhyme and reason to the things that happen in life. Instead, acknowledge it, understand that things are hard, but don't let that destroy you. Don't let that change your outlook and enjoy the things that there are to enjoy in life. And I think that's a very important mental factor that is required. And we, we touched upon that this morning in Acts as we looked at Paul and Silas in prison. Well, they could have sat back and just did a woe is me pity party. It's just awful. Uh, how could this possibly be weeping in tears and misery and this is wrong? And we could have had uh, Lydia and, and uh, Luke and Timothy. They could all get together and have a pity party. It wasn't this awful that Paul and Silas... And... Look for the positive. Enjoy life. Understand that life is short. And give all that you can to God. And that's what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Is just don't get bogged down in those things. He's already told us, bad things will happen. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be overthrown by the fact that bad times will come. You're going to have to move through it. And so, keep your eyes up. Don't let your heart be so sorrowful. He says there in verse 10, move, remove the pain from your flesh. Understand that you just cannot spend your life worrying about all the things that can go wrong and all the things that do go wrong. Even in challenges, even in difficulties, even in bad times, you have to push forward. You have to continue to serve God. You have to continue to enjoy the things that life has to offer. Now, he didn't say that was easy. But he said that's the outlook we need to have. He didn't say that would be easy when the tough times come. He didn't say that would be the easiest thing to do, but he said that's the way to get through. Don't let those bad things in life destroy you. Understand that you need to move forward because life is short. Now let's move on to chapter 12. And chapter 12, I submit to you, is probably some of the most beautiful imagery that you can find in the Scriptures. Chapter 12 is fascinating. And there is not a more beautiful way 
to describe dying. <laughs> the end of the way the writer of Ecclesiastes does it. It's fascinating. I mean, he makes it such a beautiful picture of growing old and dying, and yet it's, it's so fascinating. So we'll walk through and you'll see it, and on the surface you may not catch that's what he's doing, and we'll kind of slow down and read the uh, symbolism of what he's doing here. Chapter 12, verse 1, remember the day, the creator, your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity have come, and the years, uh, the years approach when you say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light are darkened, and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. You have in verse 2 the beginning of the eyes are beginning to fail. He says, remember the the, the Creator in the days of your youth, and do this before all these things happen. He's describing before what happens. Well, notice there verse 2, before the sun and the light are darkened. He's not talking about the end of the world here. He's saying before you can't see the sun and the light anymore. Your eyes are growing old and they're not as functional as they used to be. Notice in verse 3, on the day when the guardians of the house tremble. This is a a very nice way to talk about the guardians of the house are your hands. The house is your body. And he's saying, before your hands begin to tremble. Here again, talking about old age coming into play. Notice the rest of verse 3. When the strong men stoop, what would be the strong men stooping? Pain in the back. And the muscles of the arms are no longer as strong as they used to be. That mighty youth that could pick up anything and not worry about it. And the arms that could pick up things. It says as you get older, not the case. And you begin to have the pain in the back and no longer the strength in the arms in the back uh, anymore. Notice verse 3. The women who grind cease because they are few. Did you get that one? You lose your teeth. <laughs> the grinders are few. And so here's again this beautiful imagery of growing old. Here's what's going to happen. Enjoy the days of your youth before these things begin to take place. The natural events of the human body before the hands tremble, before the back grows weak, before the loss of teeth. And then he does it again in verse 3. And the ones who watch through the windows seem dimly. Here again, the eyesight. Uh, brought out again, no longer able to see as one was able to see. Go to verse 4. And the doors of the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. Can't hear like you used to. Always cracks me up. When I go up to California, I'm around my, my grandmother and my grandfather. Could the TV be any louder? <laughs> I mean, I think it's off the volume bar. <laughs> How bad it gets. It's just blaring. And it's like, what? And <laughs> we turn it down. <laughs> and that's what happens. And here is this, here's the description. Before the loss of hearing comes. Rest of verse 4. When one rises at the sound of, of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Here's a picture of sleeping lightly. At the littlest thing, the littlest sound, you arise. You don't get that deep, restful sleep any longer. Instead, you wake up early and those at the song of a bird. You know, at the crack of dawn, you're up. At the very slight noise, you're awake and you're active. And so here's the picture again of growing older. Verse 5. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. Pretty straightforward. Become more fearful in life. Become more cautious in life. The activities that you used to do on a regular basis without any thought whatsoever become more of a concern. Well, you know, you think about driving. You know, as kids, 
you know, you just bring a two-wheel your car down 995. You don't even care. You know, as you get older, you go, I don't know if I want to go out of my subdivision. <laughs> it's just the nature of life. A natural way things go as we begin to get older. Uh, verse 5, the almond tree blossoms. That's one of my favorites. As the hair turns white. <laughs> as the blossoming of the almond tree produces whiteness. So as the, the hair turns white as we grow older. Notice also verse 5, the grasshopper loses its spring. <laughs> Again, harder to walk. <laughs> so, no longer the balance and the step that you used to have. No longer getting up off the floor and running. Things are a little bit slower now. A little bit more difficult as you as you move around. And then verse five, he goes a little bit further and says, "And the capybara has no effect." Even describing the loss of sexual desire. He says, "As you just get older, all these things of the body are falling apart." And so, notice the point in verse five: For man is headed to his eternal home. He's describing you're coming to the end of life. Yeah, understand, as these things are happening, you're moving toward the end of your lifespan. And so the man is headed toward his eternal home, and the mourners will walk around in the street. 21st century picture would have been, and the casket goes in the hearse and drives around. I mean, that, that's what's being described here. The mourners walking in the streets are, you're dead. You're gone. Your life now has finally passed. And so verse 6, these are some great images of talking about death. You know, we, we, have, we, we have those kind of proverbial statements that we make about things, about the end of life, and we use cute little sayings. These are good to incorporate in verse 6. Before the silver cord is snapped, <laughs> picture of death. Before the golden bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well. And the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. He's just giving a reminder, this is what will happen to all of us. This is our destiny, our fate. This will happen to the human body. We will go through these things and we will die. Now, why did he tell us all that? Is he trying to be depressing? And not at all. Go back to verse 1 and recognize what he's telling us. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you say, I have no delight in them. I think there's two things that he's describing here. Often it's just said, well, get, turn to God before it's too late. That, that's, that's simplistic. There's a lot more to it than that. I think the first thing that he's driving at is you get close to God early because that will help you get through the hard times of life. Remember the Creator in the days of the year, your youth before adversity comes. Get close to God before the tough times come. Get close to God before all of the difficulties physically, all the difficulties emotionally, all the problems of life weigh down upon you. Get close to God first. That will make your life easier. Draw near to Him. Have that relationship in place so that you can endure those hard times, so that you can be ready when the adversity strikes. He has been very blunt with us that adversity is going to come. And so here is the wise counsel. Get close to God as early as you can. Draw near to God and remember Him. Get right there with Him early in life so that you can endure. And I think the other implication of the text is that because it's easier to turn to God when you're young than when you're older. And I think that's just human nature. Like anything else in life, the longer you stay away from something, the easier it is to stay away from something. The longer we don't pray, the easier it is to stop praying. The longer we don't read our Bibles, the easier it is to continue not reading our Bibles. 
The longer we don't attend worship services, the easier it's not to attend worship services. Friends, the, e- the longer you stay away from God, the easier it is to stay away from God. That's just the way it is. That's the way habits work. The longer you stay away from a good habit or a bad habit, the easier it becomes. And so he's saying, draw near to God while you can. It'll be harder to draw near to God if you keep waiting. You know, I'd like to, we like to think in life, oh, well, it'll be easier in the future. Let me get all my affairs squared away. Let me get everything ready in life. It's never going to happen. Adversity is always coming. You will never have all your plans just perfect. You will never have all your ducks in a row. As you get older, you realize it's never going to be the way you want it to be. We like to think when we're younger, oh, well, we've got all our whole life ahead of us. We'll, we've got the future and we'll get it all fixed up just right and it'll be perfect. And when I get all that squared away and I've got all my IRA and my all that all set to go and I've got my retirement plan worked out, then I'll be, have all this time to worship God. Friends, it doesn't work like that. Life does not go according to plan. It just doesn't go according to plan. Draw near to God now. Thinking that you're going to be able to do it in the, in the future, you probably won't. My dad has told me of a story of a fellow that he tried for years and years and years to invite to come to Christ. And as he was on his deathbed, you know, are you ready to become a Christian now? And he was quite honest and said, it's too late for me now. I, I just can't do it. I've live for myself for so long, there's no way that I can now make that kind of decision. I've never heard many people give such an honest response like that. A recognition that, yeah, when you get older and you've lived your life the way you want to for so long, it becomes harder to realize I'm going to stop living for myself and start living for God. The longer you commit your habit, the longer you're going to stay in your habit. The longer you live without God, then the easier it becomes to live without God. And so you need to draw on God early because the reverse is true. The sooner you draw near to God, the easier it will be to stay near with God as you go through life. That habit works in the reverse. The sooner you get with God, the sooner you draw near to God, then it will become easier to continue to draw near to God. Wednesday points out there in verse 1 when the days of adversity come. And as he's done in this very beautiful description, I think, when he, as he describes, as the body begins to fail, you'll have your relationship with God. As the body begins to fall apart and you're not able to do the things that you want to do any longer, you will have, at the very least, a strong relationship with God. And that's what matters most. And that's what he's trying to do as he draws this conclusion. This is what matters most. So, young one, he says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Take advantage of the opportunity to draw near to God now before it's too late, before the time comes when it becomes too hard, before the time comes when you've been too long and too far away from God for far too long a time. Draw near to God while you can. And so those are the warnings of the first seven and eight verses. Verse eight, absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. A great reminder of what we saw at the very beginning. When you look under the sun and you take God out of the equation, you just don't find much meaning here. You're not going to find lasting satisfaction. You're not going to find that deep value. You're not going to find the meaning of life when you take God out of the equation. This world is futile. This world is frustrating. This world does not give you the answers that everybody's looking for. Only God does. And he draws that out in verse 8. Verse 9, In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. 
He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and to accurately write words of truth. The sayings of the wise are like goads, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The, the, the sayings are given by one shepherd. Verse 11 is very important. The sayings of the wise are like goads. Here he is saying, now look at back at all the things that I've taught you, because what I have tried to teach you, says the teacher here, is things that are going to help you. In fact, he describes them as goads, which are pointed sticks that were used to poke the cattle in the right direction. He says, I'm, I'm giving you these goads. I'm giving you these pointed sticks to try to get you to go the right way. I'm not trying to, to be depressing here or to be mean to you, but if, if you listen to what I have to say, it's going to help you go down the right road in life. Listen to the things that I am presenting before you. And notice the rest of the sentence when he says that they're like firmly embedded nails. These teachings are things that you can hang your life on. When your life turns upside down, when you feel like you're in the blender, these are the things in life that you can turn to and hold fast to and say, this is what I need to do. This is what the decision I need to make. This is the direction I need to go because these are the wise words that he has put forward from God Himself. Notice the phrase there, given by one shepherd. He, after looking at all the futility under the sun, he's brought God in and said, this is wisdom from God Himself. This is God's wise words to point you in the right, right direction, to help us do what we need to do. And so what I want to do is just remind us, well, what have we learned so far in all of these lessons? And so I just went back through all my notes and said, well, what were some of the key points? Let's just remind ourselves of these goads that are to point us in the right direction. Don't forget, the lure of something better tomorrow robs us of the joys that can be experienced today. One of the first lessons we did from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is always reaching for something we can't have, always wanting something that we don't have, causes us to miss out on the great things we have right now. We don't have our eyes on the things that we can enjoy. We're always looking for something else. He says, don't do that. You're missing out on what life has to offer. Understand nothing in life brings lasting satisfaction. One of the key themes of Ecclesiastes has been futility. Absolute futility. Everything under the sun is futile. When you take God out of the equation, there's no point. What is the point of life if there is no God? It is one depressing, frustrating, useless world that has no value, no point, if this is all that there is in life. I can't even begin to deal with the concept to think that there's no God because that means there's no point. There's no point to anything. There's no point to existence. There's no point to suffering. There's no point to anything. And that's what he's been trying to say. You take God out of the equation, what is life? It's a mess. Thus he has pointed out, better to be not born than to be alive if there's no God. This life is futile then in that case. So nothing in life brings lasting satisfaction apart from God. Everything in this world does not have value. And things that seem so important like wisdom, pleasures, wealth, work, all those things that we put such a value in, when you take God out of the equation, those things have no value at all. You're not going to find happiness there. You're not going to find lasting satisfaction there. It will not fill the void in your life. We got to chapter 3. We learned some important things like life is always changing. I love that... That chapter 3, remember, is there's a time and a place for everything. It talks about all the different times that, that are going to occur in life. It's not so that somebody could write a song in the 70s or 60s or whenever that was, the birds sang that song. It was to remind you that life is always changing. 
Sometimes there's war, sometimes there's peace. Sometimes it's love, sometimes it's hate. Your life is a roller coaster. Life is always changing. He talked about in chapter 4 excessive work. Why are you working excessively? What's the point? It's not going to bring you happiness. And in the process of working excessively, you'll be alone. That was such a great story that he, he weaved there about here is this rich man who has acquired all of this wealth. He's still not happy and in the process has lost his family. That really is the story of America. As we work ourselves to death, sacrificing everything that really matters. This is the writer of Ecclesiastes saying here are the goads to point us in the right direction. Don't do that. Don't work excessively. Just work what is necessary to be able to get by in life and enjoy life as it is. In chapter 6, I did a quotation directly from the text itself. It's better to be content with what, one, with what the eyes can see than for one's heart to always crave more. This continual longing is futile, like chasing the wind. Appreciate what you have. Be content with the things you have. Be content in your circumstances. Enjoy the things that you have are available to you now. We have so many blessings that we just simply overlook because we're always wanting something else. And we don't appreciate the physical things that we have now. We don't appreciate our homes and our cars and our wealth and our jobs. And we don't appreciate, most importantly, we don't appreciate family. We don't appreciate our relatives. We don't appreciate our children, our parents, because we're always focused on something else. And of the utmost importance, we don't appreciate God because we're so focused on, well, woe is us because we just think everybody else has so much more than us. Enjoy what you have and be content with the things you have. Repeatedly, he's told us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. Enjoy the things that you've been given. Enjoy the blessings that God has given you. Money's made to be spent. Enjoy the money. Enjoy the work. Enjoy what you receive from that work. And spend it on your family. Enjoy the time that you have. What are you saving it up for? As Remember that whole story about who you're going to give it to. You can't use it when you die, and you'll give it to somebody who won't appreciate it and who will waste it away. What a great story the writer of Ecclesiastes gives. So why are you saving it? Enjoy your life. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what life has to offer. And last week we talked about the time and chance happened all. Don't give up on God, and don't blame God. We dealt with the two fundamental flaws that are taught to us in the religious world, the, the teaching and thinking that God causes everything to happen is absolutely false. Absolutely false. God does not cause everything to happen in this world. And the other false statement that, that uh, everything has a reason. Everything in life has a reason. Just as false. And he has pointed that out in chapter 9. Such great teachings. Time and chance happen to all. God does not cause everything to happen. Sometimes there is no rhyme and reason why things happen in life. Some things cannot be explained. Some things are just a matter of wrong place, wrong, wrong time. Some things are just a matter of the odds. We went through and talked about that. Some things are a matter of genetics. We talked about, you know, God's not saying something because I'm losing my hair. You know, you ain't t there's no reason to that. God's not trying to teach me something there. That just is what it is. <laughs> now understand, there's a lot of things in life like that. Things are just the way they are. Get used to it. Time and chance happen to them. And now he comes to verse 12 with a great warning. But beyond these things, and so these things is really everything that he's written up to this point. All of this wisdom that he has laid out now in these 12 chapters. Beyond these things, my son, be warned. There is no end 
to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. <laughs> I like to use that one in college a lot. I tell my dad, ah, oh, you, you know what a is. So, you know, much study, you know, that wearies the body. You don't want to do anything like that. Uh, that. That was useful. He didn't buy it for a minute. Because that's not what it means. And the point is, you know what? You will find all the self-help books in the world stocking the shelves. You will find all the books of philosophy. You will have every weirdo ever come out of the woodwork and talk about, they have figured out the meaning of life. Here's how you want to live. In fact, a few months ago, we did what Oprah is doing with this Eckhart Tolle's teaching about this new earth. We went through the, some of the false statements of that book. Guess what? Somebody next year will come out with something ridiculous too. The books never stop. And that's the whole point that he's making. So he says, beyond these wise words of what I've just taught you of how to live your life, ignore the rest. Because there's no end to the nonsense that just keeps flowing out of these people's mouths. Just there's no end. The books will never stop. Barnes & Noble will never run out of offers of people coming up with a new way to fix your life, change your life, give you the meaning of life, and all that is just never going to stop. There will always be a new book of the month that's going to solve every problem somehow if you don't only just do what it says. Don't buy it. This is what he's saying. I've given you the wise words from one shepherd. Don't listen to anything else. Be warned about the foolishness that that world offers. And so ignore worldly wisdom. Ignore the nonsense that the world pipes out. And then also along with that realize that what God has given us right here is really the owner's manual. This is all you need for wise living. This is all you need to be able to find the right direction, to point your compass toward God. You don't need any other books. The problem is often, I'll be mean about this, we're just too lazy to read it, and we'd rather read something shorter that somebody can summarize what it's all about. Give me the cliff notes to the Bible. You don't need cliff notes. Just read this, and you have all you need. Just read it. The wise words are all contained right there. The shepherd has given you the path. It's just up to us to walk the course. But will we do it? And so be warned, because all the other things are just simply a weariness to the body. Verses 13 and 14. This is the conclusion of the matter. And he even says it just like that. After, after having heard it all, this is the conclusion. And I think it's just nice to have a book do that. I have just thrown out all of these wise sayings, all of these proverbs, all of these goads of how you should live your life. And he comes to the end and says, now let me just wrap it all up for you and put it in a bow and put it in a gift and just hand it to you in one real easy statement. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commands because this is the whole of man. That's it. Are you bummed? <laughs> there, right there, friends, is the meaning of life. <laughs> That's it. There's your life purpose. There's your life value. There's what it's all about. Fear God and keep His commands. Because that's the whole of man. That's all you need. That's what it's all about. Your life will be satisfied. 
you will find fulfillment. You will find that value. You will fill the void of what you've been trying to plug in with all the worldly nonsense in there, thinking that wealth will make you happy, that wisdom and power and all those other things, oh, it'll be, it'll be promiscuity, it'll be drinking, all these things will make me happy. He's just pushed them all away and said, I tried all that. Let me tell you the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep His commands. That's the whole. That's it. That's what's going to make you whole. That's what it's all about. That's what living is all about. Is fearing God is keeping His commands. I'm so disappointed the translation so butchered that verse. Most of you say this is the whole duty of man. And your Bible probably puts the duty in parentheses. Duty is not in the original. The original Hebrew just says this is the whole of man. This is your all. This is what it's all about. It's not about duty. Duty is a terrible word. It's not about this is my duty or responsibility. This is who you are. This is what it's all about. This is the whole of living. If you will do what the wise teacher has said, you will find this is what it's all about. And you will find that satisfaction and that meaning and that value that God wants you to find. Notice the rest. For God will bring every act to judgment including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. As we conclude then, whatever, whatever path you choose, choice is yours, but whatever path you choose, you will answer to God. You don't have to make these wise choices. God's not going to make you. The opportunity is there, but you have many forks in the road of choices. You don't have to follow the wise words. You can go down the path that he tried. You can go see all that there is to offer in life. You can go try to plunge yourself into all the worldliness that you could possibly find. But I can make a guarantee based upon what he's taught us. You won't be any happier at the end. You won't find any more satisfaction or any more value or any more meaning by plunging yourself into everything you think you could possibly get your hands on. Having more money to experience more stuff will not make you any more satisfied. You'll have some temporary joy for a moment, just as we all do when we roll a new car off a lot, how good it feels, and isn't this nice, and it smells so good, and it's so cushy. And we take care of it so, and we wax it every afternoon, and we make sure nobody ever parks near it, and we don't let anybody draw it, don't drive mud through it, and don't let the kids touch it. And then in about 12 months, it's got the deans and the paint's chipping. And you don't care about it anymore. Now you leave it in the sun and you park it up front real tight between two big pickup trucks because you just don't care. The things in this world will operate that way. That's what this world does. Physical, worldly things seem like they matter for the moment, but just give it a pinch of time and it doesn't matter anymore. How long will we go through that charade of thinking the one new thing will bring us true joy? It never does. We always want something more. Then we need a bigger house. We need a better car. We need a better computer. We need the... Stop. The whole of man is to fear God and keep his commands. That's where you will find it. Stop looking everywhere else. This is where it's at. I promise. You want to try it? We invite you to try it this morning.
come to Jesus Christ. Turn away from the life of self and just decide, you know what, the world is futile. The things that are going on in this world, it doesn't make sense. Why do I keep trying to find the joy out there? It's not there. It's right here with God. Put God first. You're going to serve Him with all of your heart. You're going to turn away from the nonsense of the world and decide, I'm going to submit to Him. That's the only decision God is asking you to make today. Serve God. Put Him first. You'll find everything else in life comes together just nicely. Everything will fit just as He has described throughout this whole book. Life suddenly makes far more sense when you have God on your side. Why not have that relationship with Him today? Why not remember the the Creator in the days of your youth right now? Turn away from sin. Repent. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that He is the Son of God who came to this world and died for you and for me. And then be immersed in water to have your sins cut off, washed away. New relationship with God, a new creature. All the guilt, all the sins, all removed. Standing before God whole and clean with the promise of eternal life, the knowledge that God is your Father, the knowledge that you will be with Him when all this nonsense and futility has passed away. Please come forward while we stand and while we sing.